and welcome to mini episode 112 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And I have four spooky stories for you today and story number four comes from March the 28th, 2021 and story number one comes from Zoe. I'm a descendant of Romanian witches on my mother's side. They escaped persecution in the 17th century and eventually the family settled on the British Isles. Since I can remember, I have felt things, seen things and heard things. Whispers when no one is here, people who shouldn't be there, and objects moving or shaking for no reason. It was the same for my mother, for her mother, for her mother's mother, and so on. It has been a fact we all knew, but we don't speak about it. The more you talk, the more you invite, and the more you have to deal with. My mum has always had a feeling when somebody in the family passes. Always a dream the night before, where she sits with them and talks. The first few times she thought it was coincidence, but now she never mentions the dreams because it makes it real. When she was pregnant with me, my mother woke up one night startled. I started kicking and I didn't stop. She said it felt like I was kicking to get out. She then looked up and saw two red glowing balls. She froze in place. She said her soul felt like ice had touched it and it hurt to breathe, like breathing in razor blades. She felt its joy, its happiness, at her fear and her inability to do anything. I kept kicking hard. I didn't stop. I kicked so much that my mother unfortunately wet herself. Sorry, mum. She then touched my dad and he shot up. He didn't see it as it left, but he was cold. He could see his breath in the air and he saw goosebumps on my mum. It was only August and I was born in September, so it wasn't meant to be cold. My mother didn't sleep for the rest of that night. She felt doom and sadness. She thought she would lose me like she lost my twin. That happened when she was nearly 12 weeks pregnant. I was born and my mum was very sick after. She thought that it was there as an omen or a warning, but it definitely wasn't there for happy reasons. Things continued to happen, but that was normal, as it always had happened for my mum. Something always let out my eldest brother's gerbils. Mum cursed it every time. My middle brother would talk to a friend and tell my mum things that he shouldn't. My earliest memory is being about five or six years old at my maternal great-grandmother's in the garden. There were large hedges all around the fences, trees and flowers. There were pebbles around and always smelled sweet. I heard someone speak to me and I spoke back. Then I saw a face come out from the bush pale with big yellow eyes, a striped top and a sickly smile. I spoke to it. Then it held out its hand to me, telling me, we can play here and no one will be angry. I went to take its hand. It was nice to me and I was happy to play. My big brothers never wanted to play. Then my great-grandmother came out, walking stick raised up and shouted, you are not welcome here, you leave my girl alone, be gone. It retreated so quickly that I jumped. If you see somebody like that, you have to tell them to leave, she told me sternly. I said sorry and went into her home again. I felt bad because I'd forgotten stranger danger. My nana put a salt line on the window ledges and the doors, burned a sweet-smelling bundle of grass in the house and then sat down. She gave me water and a biscuit. Then I played in the front room under her watchful gaze for the afternoon using her fake pearl necklaces and watching the crackling fire. I visited her often and never saw it again, but I saw shadows. 
I saw a man watch me sleep, but I never felt scared of him. He hummed me to sleep if he woke me and always felt loving. When he was there, it smelled like the sea and I loved it. One night I woke, I must have been about eight and I saw him, but he was looking in the garden and I felt an urge to find my mum. I went out to the room that she slept in and found her awake too, looking out the window, out into the garden. She saw me, put me into bed next to her and rocked me to sleep. I woke up again when the sun was shining, so went to get a juice. I found my nana in her chair and she was pale. She saw me come in and said, I'm fine, I'm just tired, Bubba, get me a drink, please. I did this and smiled at her, and then I saw him, the one who watches me sleep, standing next to her and smiling. I dropped my glass and fell over. I always thought I was dreaming. He looked at me and then moved away. My nana looked at me, smiled and said, Don't be frightened. She then asked me what else I feel. I told her everything, always thinking I was just seeing imaginary friends, awake but still dreaming, and when I felt things touch me that I was just being silly. I had too much imagination for my own good. No, Bubba. It will carry on happening. Never speak about it, or it will happen more, and then it will be hard. Just trust your eye. I nodded and went to the sofa. Nana died shortly after our visit. I never saw him again, but later found out that it was her husband who died in World War I, a pilot who was shot down over the channel. They never found him or his plane. Another time when things got heavy was when we lived in Germany. A lovely house with a cellar that my parents transformed into a playroom. I loved it there, but you would always hear steps on the stone stairs. The door would slam when you walked out. The curtains would move. Sometimes small toes would be seen poking out. My mum spoke to it when she did the washing. There was a massive cellar with multiple rooms. You'd hear a giggle sometimes and it didn't bother us ever. It just seemed like something who wanted to be there and be seen but was happy with that. It felt calm. It was like a friend who came over but wanted to play different things. Only once did I get scared when my doll fell off the drawers and I felt a surge of anger from outside my body. I ran upstairs, outside and repeated, you are not welcome, go away. My dad came out and asked if I was okay. He made me a sugary tea, sat in the garden with me and just stayed. My father had experiences too. He was a soldier, no nonsense and straight to it. But over the years he opened up from being, no, the supernatural is not real, to just accepting it. One time in a war zone, he and his men had to check wreckages. He went to the top of the tank about to open the manhole, but something pushed his hand down and he swears down he heard my dead maternal grandmother's voice say, No, not this way. He went to the back door and it turned out that the manhole was booby-trapped. If he had opened it, then he would have died a year or so before I was born. He then started understanding. Listen, but don't speak back. He won't speak about much of his experience as they are hand in hand with war. But always that my dead maternal grandmother's voice would come to him at times telling him what to do or lay a hand on his head for comfort and calm. He felt it other times too but rarely speaks of it. You speak more, then you invite more in. He took that advice to heart. 
Fast forward to my teen years and I went to a boarding school in Dover. It was old and had a long history, with death there, and I always saw things and felt things. But I never spoke to them. I never acknowledged them or told my peers. One, because they would call me crazy for seeing things, and two, because if I spoke about them, they would hear me. They would become aware of me. I didn't want that. Dead soldiers, dead children, shadows, a dog, past teachers who passed away. And then there was the man. He walked around the school, a grim, cold feeling following him, and he seemed menacing. Like when a man is about to fight, you feel the violence rolling off him. Like at the snap of a ruler, he would kill. If I saw him, I avoided that area. I felt sadness when one child was near, like a lost feeling and hopelessness, my heart being ripped out. I just wanted to say hello, but I didn't. I didn't want the attention. It was such a small child. I always felt like he was looking for someone, but not a parent. A friend, maybe, or a sibling. The dead soldiers always standing on the grounds like they were still watching out for the enemy. Their uniforms were like the ones from Blackadder, the World War I or II series. They never moved position, but watched something in the sky. They seemed to be repeating their last hours. My mother rarely picked me up from school. It was always my father, and if my mother did come, it was quick and she always seemed distracted. When I left school, I chose to work in care. I worked in some lovely homes, but one always made me feel like I was being watched. It always felt like something was right behind me and I hated it there. I met my husband and I stayed at his flat. I felt something but I chose to ignore it. I liked this guy and whenever I let on I felt things and saw things men would run and I didn't blame them. But I didn't want him to run. I spent the night with him and woke up to find something watching us. I spoke quietly, breathing out the words, Go, you are not welcome here. I focused on his home, having ice blocks around it, protecting it, and the figure left. I laid down and snuggled into my husband. You saw it, didn't you? he said. I froze and I panicked. It's okay. I believe in it all. And apparently you believe, and no more than me. I told him, don't speak of it. You give it attention and it gives you attention, and we became a couple four and a half years strong and things continued happening. Before Covid we went ghost hunting to Dover, it was my husband's idea. My mum was pissed but looked after our children. You'll regret this. She put a cross on my car keys before we left and told me to keep it in my pocket. We went and had to leave early. The organiser was being pushed and had something attached to them. I saw it as I walked in. Claws on their shoulder, eyes poking out behind their head and a feeling when they walked past. A feeling of being pulled towards the organiser and like something was trying to grab you. I made sure I kept hold of my husband's hand. Each spirit we encountered seemed angry, especially one which tried to hurt my husband. I stood slightly in front of him and felt burning all over. We left that room and I had to repeat quietly, Leave me be, and touch my husband's skin. We stayed there a moment before returning to the room and when we did I regretted it. The burning returned and I felt something pushing my chest. We went back to the tea room and I felt sadness. Like a spirit was trying to tell me, there is nothing here for you, you need to leave. We left after that but when we got home I was covered in scratches. I phoned my mum 
and she told me to use my salt scrub shower gel and shower in cold water. I did and repeated, you are not welcome in my home. A few nights later, I felt anger in our home and dread. Then I heard my husband gasp and him jumping out of the bath. It was funny watching a grown man run naked out of the bathroom. Our daughter's Barbie doll had moved its head to look at him. I laughed thinking he was imagining it before I looked into his eyes and I saw that he wasn't lying. I did what my great-grandmother did, salt lines. No other angry atmosphere and no more Chucky Barbie doll. But that night we chose to sleep with our daughters in bed with us. I needed them there so I knew where they were and I felt that that night it was something we should do. The next morning all felt calm again and we decided there would be no more ghost hunts. My scratches took over a week to go, one on my wrist taking the longest. Whenever I looked at it I felt a surge of sadness. I felt like it was the one from the spirit that warned me. I have two daughters. Both have said something or spoken to something not there. My eldest used to say that a woman was on her ceiling, holding on to the ceiling with her hands and feet. She was skinny and pale but kind. Her body and face were faced towards my daughter. Her hair was tied back and she had loose trousers and a white flowing top. Her feet were black and the trousers had burns. There were red marks around the wrist and ankles and red marks around her mouth. My daughter always smiled up and said goodnight. One night, over the baby monitor, my parents and I heard her say her usual goodnight. Then we heard a woman's voice saying, Goodnight, child. I legged it in and caught a glimpse of something on the ceiling. My mother told it to leave that it wasn't welcome, but I felt sadness and love. I told my mother this and she nodded. The lady stayed, only ever showing herself to my daughter and always seemed loving and caring. Our black cat never appeared spooked, so we weren't worried. One day my eldest stopped playing, looked at my dad and said, The lady had to go, and continued playing. My dad nodded and said, And there is your mother's DNA. My eldest has said there are things in our flat now, but only a few times she has said this. She watches spaces and then continues reading. She sometimes starts crying for no reason or laughing in her sleep and yes, it creeps us out too. My youngest has said that the lady is here and speaks to her in the kitchen. We can't get her to tell us much more, she's only two and a half years old, but I feel no harmful feeling, just love, so I let it be. My daughters have said things to my husband about his uncle who passed away before either of them were born. They have freaked him out, as have I at times with what I say. He always says, you are goddamn children. I find it entertaining. The girls just smile and then go back to playing or reading. We have a black cat that lives with my parents. She hates us adults but loves our girls. When I was pregnant, she just wouldn't leave my bump be. I have been asked to work on a ghost hunt. I've been asked by Clairvoyant to help her but I won't. Just because I know doesn't mean I should share. The ghost hunter wasn't wanting to help for good. With you on our board sessions will be amazing. No, you don't play with that shit unless you want to drop kick out a window and evil following you. And the clairvoyants wanted money. I wouldn't get grieving people to pay me for possibly seeing their loved ones. You open a door that you just can't shut. And taking advantage of those in need is just wrong. 
If you have a message, you give it. You don't request payment of any kind. That isn't right. I know this is long, but you can't condense 28 years into one paragraph when weird shit happens every month. So that's me. Always hearing, seeing or feeling, but never actively encouraging. Always knowing more and always wondering whether one day my great-grandmother will pop in. But I feel the time she does, it won't be good. My life is one big party, living and dead. But always remember, keep salt in the cupboard, always be calm and say, you are not welcome here. Leave. I would highly, highly recommend that you look up the work of Romanian witches and the absolute impact they have on Romanian politics. Genuinely, I would recommend that you look it up. It's really fascinating. Romanian witches are actually quite an integral part of some parts of Romanian communities and Romanian culture and lots of people visit witches for loads of different reasons and it's really fascinating. I don't know how these women survived seeing all these things all of the time. And I mean survived emotionally. I guess if it's something that you're born and raised with, then is it something that you just learn to live alongside? I suppose it is. But what was the creature in the garden that tried to get Zoe to come and play? Like, what what was that? Because that doesn't sound like a ghost, does it? It sounds like something else, some sort of other entity. And it seems to be a mix of, like, other entities and seeing people who have passed on it's just really fascinating and it's a whole cultural it's a whole culture that I don't understand like I don't know enough about the world of Romanian which is only what I know about the like the modern the modern times and how Romanian witches operate at the moment. It's really fascinating how it passes from the females in families as well that it goes from mother to daughter and are there are there males who have the, the sight within these families or is it just the women that it passes between? I think it's pretty good advice as well to say to people that you just don't mess with this. You know, you don't don't invite it in, don't engage with it or you're going to have to deal with even more of it. It's pretty good advice. It makes me want to just stop doing this podcast. <laughs> and I have to say as well, like big props to Zoe for refusing to get involved with clairvoyance and ghost hunting people who don't have good intentions because I think oftentimes they don't and I and I really do believe that I do think that sometimes you come across people who do just want to make money from people and who do want to go to haunted places and be really provocative and disrespectful and that's not something that anybody wants to be involved with I think so I'm I'm that's impressive it's impressive and story number two comes from Javin around the time I first started speaking Me, my mother, my dad and my aunt all lived at my grandmother. She had a house built in the late 1800s, as documented on the deeds to the house, and a brick at the bottom of the chimney. My mother told me whenever I was laying in my crib or my car seat, I would follow something on the ceiling with my eyes and smile. I would say baby, which was my toddler way of saying baby. This always freaked her out. One day when my mother was at work and my aunt was babysitting me, She laid me down upstairs to sleep. The phone began to ring and she went downstairs to answer it. While talking on the phone, she swore that she saw a baby crawling across the living room floor towards the fireplace and disappear. She was startled because she thought I'd somehow crawl down the stairs without her knowing. She ran up to me only to see that I was still fast asleep in my crib. 
At the age of around seven, we moved to a small village 10 minutes away from my grandmother. I loved this place. We moved in with my great-grandfather to take care of him and to have our first house. This is where the majority of these stories took place. When we first moved in, it was around the time of the PlayStation 3. My father ended up getting us one that came with a web camera called the PlayStation Eye. Essentially, that's all it was. A simple, low-quality webcam. My father would hear noises at night when we slept upstairs, so assuming it was my grandfather, he set the webcam to record at night to check what was going on. After another noisy night, me, my mom, and my dad all checked the webcam the next morning. There was a night vision thermal mode on it to help see in the dark. When we checked, there wasn't much going on. My grandfather would only roll a few times in his bed, which pretty much summed up the noises. Until we saw it. A ghostly white cat seemingly came out of nowhere and jumped on the bottom of my grandfather's bed and walked up to his legs and jumped on the couch and just as suddenly as it came, it vanished. To no surprise, we were all quite startled, considering we weren't allowed pets in the house at the time. After my dad started working nights, my mom and I shared a room together. I remember vividly and terrifyingly the things that I saw staying in that room. Even now, when I talk about those events, I tear up. My first encounter with a spirit, demon, entity, energy, whatever anybody wants to call it, was when I was sound asleep. I remember waking up to the sound of a man clearing his throat as if to speak. It was deep and loud, seemingly almost directly in my ear. I remember sitting up in bed and thinking it was my father. I looked around the room to see nothing, except when I looked into the small hallway with a tiny square clearing, I saw a man. Tall, darker than dark, featureless, with a tall top hat. I have heard people on the podcast describe this also as having a coat. This one, however, did not. It did not move or make any noises after I woke up, just stood staring intently. I know this wasn't sleep paralysis because I remember frantically screaming and shaking my mom to wake up, and when she did, there was nothing there. The Shadow Man was a reoccurring scene that happened nearly every night, except one night something changed. The way the bed was in relation to the room, there was a clear view of the hallway. On the back of the bed was a large wooden headboard that had sides that were enclosed. Between the right side of the bed and the headboard, there was a gap large enough to fit a regular-sized person standing shoulder to shoulder. I remember waking up, seeing Mr. Shadow, but also feeling an intense feeling of being watched from this gap. I remember slowly looking back to the most terrifying sight I have ever witnessed. Something, black in body and red in the face with glowing amber eyes, squatted in this gap, making direct eye contact with me. It hissed and bared its sharp pointed teeth at me. The best way I can describe it was the red-faced demon from Insidious. But this was years before the movie came out. We don't get ghost babies very often, like actual ghost babies. That's pretty freaky. Because you'd obviously automatically be thinking, oh no, the baby's got somehow gotten out of their cot and has made their way downstairs. Very strange to have ghost babies. We have ghost toddlers, ghost children, ghost adults. But not ghost babies. And to be honest, I'd kind of be okay with a ghost cat knocking around as long as it didn't like wake me first thing in the morning in order to 
feed it, then I'd be okay with a ghost cat knocking around. I hate the hat man. We all hate the hat man. What is his purpose? What do you want from us, hat man? I don't know if I want to know. If he's not wearing his coat, does that mean he's naked? There's a big question for you. If he is wearing a coat, does that mean he's a fancy hat man? Are there lots of different hat men? Entities? Some wearing coats, some not? Do you get a coat the longer you're a hat man? Is it like a badge, like a Blue Peter badge? Or like, you know, in Monsters, Inc., if you scare enough people, you get a coat? And while I find Insidious just fundamentally a really funny film, I wouldn't want the Insidious demon to be knocking around in my bedroom staring at me. That last section of that story really gave me the heebie-jeebies. And story number three comes from Anonymous. I'm on my third Freddy episode and I finally feel like I should share my experience and my thoughts. When I was around 14 or 15, my lovely mum had a nervous breakdown. She had had a really hard early life, losing a lot of her close family in quick succession and witnessing all of it. So as incredible and strong as she was, storing that for so long had an impact. My bedroom used to be a small upstairs kitchen and because of this it had one of those odd windows with crisscross wires through the pane. While my mum was in hospital getting help, I started to see a pair of yellow cat-like eyes peering through the glass at night. The eyes turned into a face over the following weeks, which had an unsettling grin and sharp teeth. I likened it to, and I'm sorry for this, it shits me up massively too, the monster guy from Jeepers Creepers. There's a bit in particular in the second film where he peers through the glass at the back of a school bus. And that's him. That's my Freddy. I told some of my friends about him and we all laughed it off. We also called him Freddy and I have no idea why. Although the face was horrifying, I don't remember being scared by him. I soon covered the glass with paper and posters and forgot all about it. My mum passed away last year. The only good thing is that it was right before Corona, thank goodness, and she didn't have to see this shit show. Me and my husband have moved into my family home to live with my dad and my stepson is in my old room. I'll be fucked if I'll tell him or anyone, in fact, about old Freddy though. I think he's either attached to mental pain, depression, or maybe even puberty. I'd be really interested to know if other cases have any similar circumstances to old Freddy's visits. Oh, okay, so... We haven't heard anything Freddy related in a very long time and I never liked Freddy. Dan always thought Freddy was like a a good spirit, some sort of good thing that was protecting people. My issue really with Freddy or versions of Freddy is that why does it have to look so hideous? So our original Freddy, the OG Freddy, had loads of eyes and spindly legs and is generally very scary. And then this Freddy is Jeepers Creepers guy, which is horrendous. Why can't why can't Freddy in times of need just look look like something nice? But maybe Anonymous is right. Like maybe it is something that is summoned by stress or worry or even puberty because they do talk a lot about how poltergeists are triggered by puberty. So who knows? I'm not sure if I want to find out. And story number four comes from Francesca. When I met my partner nine years ago, he lived with his parents, three sisters and one of their partners. They lived in a large five-bedroom end-of-terraced house on Oxford Road. Every person that lived in that house had some form of creepy experience. I should preface this story by saying that my boyfriend was 17, I was 16, his sisters were 22, 
21 and 2. His parents were going through a rough patch. His dad had cheated on his mum, his mum had some form of mental breakdown and ended up turning to alcohol. One of his sisters was clinically depressed and was, at the time, on heavy medication. Every time I walked up the stairs in that house I got the creeps. There was a narrow staircase that led to a small landing where the stairs turned. On the first landing there were three rooms. My boyfriend's the main bathroom and his younger sister's nursery. The turn of the stairs led to another landing where there were three large bedrooms. I never wanted to go up those second set of stairs. Even thinking about them gives me the creeps. My whole body goes cold. My skin prickles. I ran from the bathroom into my boyfriend's room every time, not daring to look up at that second landing. My boyfriend used to get scratches on his body. I can remember questioning the claw marks on his back, but he never had an answer to how they appeared, even if I'd been with him overnight or for hours on end. In that house, I never saw anything. I had the feeling, a feeling that it turns out everyone had. But I, seemingly, was the only person that never experienced something. If it wasn't scratches, it was seeing shadowy figures, things moving or vivid outlines of children. The sister who was on medication had a vivid experience that she doesn't know resulted from the drugs or from something more untoward. She woke up in the depths of the night to see a small child staring at her. She thought it was her cousin and asked her why she was there but the girl didn't speak. She woke up not in bed but on the floor not knowing how she got there. She never had another experience like it, whether on medication or not. A few years later, when editing a photo, a little girl's face started to appear. She threw the phone away, too scared to look. When she worked up the courage, the face was gone and no editing could get it to reappear. My boyfriend's dad was in bed one night, having just put the younger sister into the cot. He was tired of the mum and her drinking. She would often come in drunk and wake the baby up. One night the door opened, light poured into the room, footsteps followed on the creaky wooden floors. He saw feet pacing into the room. He told the mum, thinking it was her, to go away. The feet stopped. He repeated himself. The feet turned around, exited onto the landing and the door closed. It was only when he was speaking to his children about how she had come into the room to disturb the baby again did he realise that she had been downstairs the whole time. My boyfriend and his eldest sisters had been with their mum until the early hours of the morning in the living room watching a movie, keeping her away from the baby so she didn't disturb them again. No one knows whose feet they were, because all the family members were accounted for downstairs. Two years later, my boyfriend, his youngest sister, his mum and his dad moved into another house on Oxford Road. It was another large house. His youngest sister was four and it was the day they got their keys and we were all downstairs except her. She was playing upstairs in her bedroom. Everyone from the original house on Oxford Road was there. We told his younger sister where we were to come downstairs if she needed us. We were all laughing when we heard a piercing scream. Me, my boyfriend and his sister ran up the stairs but we couldn't find her. It was my boyfriend who found her, curled up at the top of the loft stairs. She couldn't speak. She only cried. She never did say why she had gone up the stairs and not down to her family. The two back bedrooms that were the littlest's bedroom and playroom had an eerie feeling. I despised one corner of that room. I got the oddest feeling. She never slept in her own room. She always slept in with her parents. But she played in there. 
and we would often find her in the rooms talking to seemingly no one. It was never make-believe types of speech, always hushed whispers, a conversation that would stop as you walked past the door. Everyone was in agreement that those two bedrooms had an odd feeling, even my boyfriend who doesn't really believe. We all had the same feeling that night, that the littlest had run up the stairs because she had seen something in that room she didn't like. In the other house, I didn't have any experiences, but in this one I did. I was scared of the landing, in particular the bottom of the stairs to my boyfriend's room. It was a dark, eerie corner. I was that scared that I wouldn't go to the toilet by myself at night. I would wake him up to walk me down. One night I woke him up to go to the toilet and we went together. I went first and he went second. I sat on the edge of the bath waiting for him, looking out of the open door and out onto the landing. I looked at that dark corner of the room and saw something. I've seen things before, in other houses, but always doubted myself. I thought I was seeing things, a coat placed over the end of the banister maybe. I stared waiting for the shadowy figure to merge into a coat and disappear and melt into the wall. But it didn't fade. It became more apparent. A dark figure staring at me from the corner. I ran towards my boyfriend with my eyes closed. I was petrified to go up the stairs to walk past the place I was so certain I had seen something watching me. Was it the same ghost that followed my boyfriend's family down the road? After they moved from that house from Oxford Road, no one has had any incident since. Until you speak of it to my boyfriend. Every time I bring it up, I talk to him, even in a different place, a scratch will emerge on his body that wasn't there before. I recorded us speaking about it once, thinking I would put it on YouTube. And it happened there as well too. A raw claw mark on his back. I often wonder if something is still there, following us. This again is another story that seems to be centred around a family who are like in this crisis. They're in a period of great pain and turmoil and stuff starts happening. Like, is it the house or is it the emotional state of the people within the house? That's, I don't know if that's a rhetorical question or not. Or maybe there's stuff in lots of houses and it just takes crisis to bring it to the forefront that these things like feed off the negative energy that's in the household and that makes them stronger. Because it feels like whatever was in this house seemed to get stronger and stronger and seemed to really impact the people who were living there as opposed to Francesca, who was visiting, if that makes sense. Thank you so much for listening to today's story. Thank you to Zoe, Javin, Anonymous and Francesca for sending in your stories. If you would like to know anything about the podcast, you can find it out by logging on to com. And on that note, I shall see you next time.